All right. Welcome back to another episode of Working Class Fishing. I'm John Morris. Our other host is Brian Keachley. This episode is brought to you by Troutlander Nets, American-made nets in South Carolina by Weston. Use the code Working Class or WCF for 10% off on your custom net needs. We've got a pretty excellent guest this evening, and uh, that is Mr. Mark Usick. Mark, thanks so much for taking time out of your evening and coming on and talking with us, man. Thanks for having me. It ain't so hard to take some time to talk fish. <laughs> Mark, dude, you you got a lot of hats that you wear. I mean, you're you're a father, a fly fisherman, an author. Um, how do you find time to do all of these magnificent things? Uh, I think the the bigger question is how do I find time to have a 40 hour a week uh, regular day job? That's, <laughs> that's, that's the part that sucks. <laughs> the rest of it's awesome. Um, it's tough. You know, it's, it's, it's real tough. Any, anybody, anybody who is making it on their own in the world today with a job and a family, I don't care if you're barely scraping by or if you're doing really well in today's climate, you're doing really well, uh, the way I see it. So I, I'm I'm a little above barely scraping by, but uh, it's because of the kids and the fishing and a little bit of the writing. That that's honestly how I get through it all. Dude, that's awesome, man. And I I agree, dude. You know, as as long as you're out there and you're giving it your best, honestly, you know you're. Because at some point we're all we're all gonna have some shortcomings, but as long as you're doing your best and you're keeping at it, keeping up that fire, uh, I'm with you, dude. I think you're doing a damn good job. Yeah, thanks a lot. Anybody is that's making it today. Oof. Yeah. So a uh, little bit of background for everybody. Um, Mark, uh, I I probably went on some kind of friending rampage on Facebook just for full disclosure. <laughs> Um, it, it, because, uh, you know, John, John's busy and, and, uh, you know, so I, I do all the social media stuff. And so I went on this friending rampage and here, here's Mark. He shoots me a message. He's like, Hey, you should have me on your podcast. I'm like, well, who's this? Because we're always looking for interesting people. And so I pop in there. I'm like, he writes books. And then he's like, yeah, I write books and do stuff like that. And then I was like, Oh, he's got some other cool associations too. We won't, uh, I'll let you drop those, but um, anyway, so that was like, he was like, yeah, I got a YouTube channel, all this other stuff. So then I pop over there and I start listening to Mark reading some of his stories and, um, you know, kind of the precedence that I came into this podcast with, you know, outside of talking fishing was, you know, Mark, you, you wrote, you, you write real stories from your childhood that I think can relate to anybody. And, and, you know, I won't name all the stories, but I started listening to them while I was driving to work actually. So here I got Mark over in the driver's seat and I, I have to turn it over. So I'm not like looking over at Mark, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, so I'm not distracted driving down the freeway, but I'm listening to these and I'm just cycling through his playlist and, and, uh, you know, obviously trying not to text and drive and comment, but incredible stories that you write, Mark. Um, I guess where, where I want to start off is, is that you, you talk about starting off fishing in your youth that's where you started what you know um you fostered from there who got you started fishing and uh you know how did it turn into this 
Yeah, so who got me started fishing? I always thought I knew who it was. Um, and then as I got into this whole writing thing, which got me into researching my fishing in youth without officially researching it, once you start diving into why you have these feelings and why you remember these things, then you start uncovering other stuff. And I always thought, well, it was my grandfather on my father's side. You know, he always took me fishing as early as I can remember fishing. And then I'm going through old family pictures that I didn't know exist. And I find this picture of me and my father standing in the driveway in front of this old 70 something Vista cruiser station wagon with a little green and white Zebco uh, casting rod. And then a picture with that of me with that same rod and these big knitted mittens and my little Converse sneakers and what looks like probably a Creek chub. And my father says, well, that was your first fish. So obviously my father took me fishing first and then he was always working. So I'd always go with my grandfather. And then I started writing about all this stuff. I started writing about fly fishing, which led me to writing about being a little kid before I was fly fishing and all the stuff I remembered. And I come across these memories of an old family friend dropping off uh, a tackle box in an old cane uh, bait casting rod and reel. And I realized that it's not such a simple question as who got you into fishing? For some people, maybe it is, but maybe it's not. And I'm like, well, my grandfather took me the most all the time. And all my memories are that. But then I know my father took me the first time and I caught a fish and I didn't hate it, which somehow or other must have led my grandfather to taking me fishing more. But then I remember this old family friend, this barber, Johnny Harp, giving us his tackle because he knew he was about to die of cancer. Um, and now me and my brothers got this metal tackle box in the shed that we're using all the time and, you know, grabbing all these old lures and stuff out of it's there's there's a lot more to it when you really dive into it i think uh a lot of people had their hand in it and technically they still do have their hands in it johnny harp that's that story stands out in my mind and john hasn't really had an opportunity to listen to that but that one stood out in my mind the most and it wasn't because it was like the first or second story i listened to but just just the background of that and the way that it you know you talk about reminiscing and it, I mean, I, I'm not going to steal your thunder here, but, um, you know, that was an incredible excerpt. And that was out of, uh, the, the, uh, book, uh, carp, carp suck. Is that what it is? Yeah. Carp are jerks. Carp are jerks. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to say, I agree with you hundred percent on that title. So just, just saying, <laughs> they are. so, so Johnny harp, that was an incredible story. And, and for our listeners, you, you definitely, if, if, you don't at least purchase the book from Mark. Make sure that you you actually you know go and check out his stories on YouTube. But that one that one stood out in my mind a lot. Thanks. That was that was some of the stories I write are a little more personal than others, and that one's that one ended up being pretty personal. And that that was a memory that I suddenly remembered it one day and wrote the story in like the same twenty minutes that I remembered it. it was, that was one of those things that it 
it hits you pretty fast. Like, holy crap, I can't believe I forgot that. And then I look over to the corner in the living room or in the dining room and I say, that tackle box right there, that was his. And uh, so for everybody listening, we had a family barber that lived down the street from my grandmother in the city of Utica, New York. And I, you know, I found this picture one night of uh, my grandmother hold me getting my first haircut. It was our family barber, Johnny Harp. And at some point, I was in grade school. I remember playing outside. My father was digging and Johnny Hart pulling up in this big old 70s gas wagon. And uh, my father walking over and talking to him and him taking a tackle box and a fishing rod out of the trunk and giving it to my father and then driving away. And then that night at dinner, my father talking to my mother about him being sick. Turned out he had cancer. And he told my father he wasn't going to be able to fish anymore, and he thought we ought to have it. And that's that was one of the more personal stories that ended up in that book. That's that's how these stories come about, really. It's you know maybe I just went fishing yesterday and I write about it today, but maybe it's a memory that, well, for one it's a good story, and some other people can relate to it. But for another, maybe I should write this down before I forget it. Possibly my kids will actually have something to read about their father when they get older and I'm gone. There's a lot of reasons to write this stuff. So would you encourage, um, I, I wrote, uh, I made a compilation, um, this ain't about me, but I wrote a compilation of letters back and forth between my father um, right before I went to Iraq. And we, uh, we ended up writing for maybe a year and a half back and forth. And we put this in a little book uh, that we call What Makes a Man. And uh, if I hadn't have been writing things down as they happened, I would have never remembered them. So do you, do you think that is something that you would pass on and say that uh, is it something good to get into is just writing down some of these uh, things that happen? Very important. Um, things, that, things that happen, um, when somebody says something that makes you laugh and it's just a good line or it makes perfect sense. Um, I just went into a school uh, two weeks ago, talked to some sixth grade students about all this. And that was one of the biggest things they said, as soon as you either remember something or have a thought about something, whether you write it down on a piece of paper, whether you, you know, text it to yourself in an email, whatever, get it out of your head and get it in some type of written recorded form like fast because in five minutes it could be gone. And even if it's a good memory that you had, um, like you're talking about, you know, these letters with back and forth with you and your father or this story with me and uh, Johnny Harp. Yeah. Maybe I remembered it, but if I didn't write that story right then, um, it, I had already forgotten it once, you know, it might've never made it in the book. Um, yeah, I think that's a that's a, a big thing. It doesn't have to be the whole thing. Just jot some stuff down to keep it there in front of your face. You're going to use it sooner or later. So you're, I guess we're talking a lot about your books. <laughs> so <laughs> we said we figure out where we're yeah. going to go. So was what was your first book? My first book is called Reflections of a Fly Rod, and the way that came about was, it was, I have, uh, I have a good friend of mine. His name is Jordan Ross. He owns J.P. Ross Fly Rods. Um, 
I've known him since first grade. And somewhere around 2011, uh, we met back up in life after, well, we both graduated high school in 94. So it's been a while. And it was through fly fishing, of course. And eventually, I ended up wanting to get a fly rod built. Uh, Had him build me a fly rod. And so I asked him, I said, this is what I want, you know, let's start working on it this winter so I can, you know, have it by the spring. And I had started writing too. And I tried putting a blog together and I didn't know anything about the internet and blogging or anything. And I was writing about a job that I was doing at the time and it ended up, I was having more fun writing about the fishing at the end of the day of this job instead. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll build you this rod if you'll quit your blog and put your blog on my website. And before you know it, I was putting a story up every single week. There's, there's probably over 200 stories on it now. Wow. Um, but there was, there was a hundred, yeah, there was a hundred stories on it in no time flat. And this first book reflections of a fly rod came from that blog. 95% of the stories were all on the blog first. Um, so there's like 62 short stories in the book and they're really, easy reading they're anywhere from two to four pages long each story basically uh so you could just open it up wherever you want and they're just stories about you know kind of like what we've been talking about going out and fishing what happened uh not there's nothing how to it's you know the day you catch fish you don't you remember fishing with grandpa um i i have found that i can kind of you know how us fishermen are. We can talk about just about anything until <laughs> yeah. people's eyes are yeah. rolling backwards in their yeah. head. Well, I, I can, I, I've found that I can write about just about anything. I mean, I've got a story in there about, we like talking about going back to being kids. So <laughs> I've got a story in that book about my big Rambo survival knife I had when I was in like the eighth grade. It, it's, <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's all really short stories. It'll make you, you know, Make you wish you were a kid and not worrying about your bills and your mortgage and you know yeah. all that good stuff. That was that was kind of the the idea of the first book was just to get a bunch of stories, see where it went, and it led to two other books. No, uh, it's it, it's so cool, you know the the books and and what you're doing with the stories and the writing. It, like I I think I stated before, it's so relevant to all of us and and the way that we kind of come around and. Um, you know, the, the, the way that you write and the way that, especially when you hear you tell the story, because it has more of that personal connection, you know, when you were any one of them, it, it just is really, it's cool because it, it just reminds you there again of being kids or, you know, those experiences that you had that they're just all a part of your life. But I think we all have those relative experiences. So everybody uh, has them. If you yeah. don't think you do, you got to hear somebody else tell a story. And before their story is done, you're like, oh, yeah, you know what that reminds me exactly. of? Exactly. <laughs> you could have a bunch of people standing around in a group. And those stories, if everybody had a bunch of sugar, um, they could stay up for, you know, 80 hours, one up in each other's stories. That's yeah. that's the whole point of books like these to me is it's 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 not for you just to relate to it. But all of a sudden you're remembering your own stories. Yeah. So, uh, you know, along with the books, obviously you got to do 
quite a bit of fishing to be able to write a lot of fishing stories. <laughs> so, you know, now not, not to minimize the, the writing and all that kind of stuff and, and to shift away from that, but because you do have incredible stories and you do have, uh, and you fish and do all this other stuff, what, uh, to kind of bring us up to speed here, where, where are you fishing at mostly? Like when you can, uh, skip work and you can escape and you don't have T-ball or, you know, sports or whatever, yeah. you know, where, where are you fishing and what are you fishing for? So I am smack dab in the middle of New York state. Um, and for everybody out there that just went, Oh, he's from New York city. I'm a five hour drive from New York city. Nowhere's near it. So it's, it's a state like any other state, trees and mountains and lakes and rivers. And we have so much water in New York state. I've got a Creek that's got anything from smallmouth bass to brown trout, depending on the time of year, carp. Uh, I've seen tiger muskie out back there. Uh, walleye, you name it. It's 150 yards from my back door. And right now I'm at my girlfriend's house and I'd say about 300 yards from her front door is a totally different Creek. And I'm only a seven minute drive from my house. So we've got a lot of water. So like I told the kids that I talked to in the school a couple weeks ago, you really don't need to go very far to find stories around here, mm-hmm. but I'm also within a 30 minute drive of the Adirondack park. So oh, nice. we've got yeah. bass and trout and, carp and pike and walleye and and sheep's head and chubs and you name everything that we have i can be on adirondack brook trout streams in a 30 minute drive from home so it's it's not really it's not really that hard to find the stories um and i can also write stories about getting skunked and catching nothing so that helps <laughs> well that's just that's cool though i mean thinking about uh what what you have around you the adirondacks and and uh, you know all the the water and everything else uh, what what's your average so what's your average fishing trip look like then with all those species i mean do you go out to specifically target or you just... i i usually do if i stick around here I find myself going for bass more than anything else. I really love smallmouth bass. They're a blast. Mm-hmm. Um, I like brown trout, but I'm not the best. Plain and simple, I'm not the best trout fisher. Um, I was a heck of a lot better before I fly fished when I was fishing <laughs> with either MEP spinners or like little marabou jigs and an ultralight pole or something. Um, but if I'm staying local, I'm probably targeting bass. Um, and if I'm going up to the Adirondacks, I'm going up there specifically to chase brook trout. Um, so, yeah, I I always say I'm just going to whatever. Whatever is there is what I'm going to catch. But I usually know what's there where I'm going. And that's why I'm going. If I've got time, I would much rather go up north uh, to chase brook trout. And it's not because of the brook trout. There are native fish, and they're really pretty. And I do know where there's a lot of wild of brook trout in the Adirondacks. But if there were smallmouth bass in those same streams, I'd be going after smallmouth bass. It's just, it's it's the scenery, it's the territory. The, the Adirondacks are pretty awesome. And it doesn't take very much effort to get away from people. Um, so it is the fish, but then I'll argue and I'll contradict myself and I'll say that it's because of where they're at. Uh, I guess it depends on how fast I want to be on water and how fast I want to be catching or casting, not always catching. 
or how long I want to drive, really. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, a big ball of contradictions. So as a smallmouth angler, you, uh, you throw in a lot of streamers. So I went on the JP Ross website and I saw this uh, streamer section. Yeah. And uh, do you take part in that as well? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's I'm not I'm not much of a dry fly fisherman. I am. I will. Um, but I would much rather streamer fish. Um, I've had plenty of times out on the rivers where all right, look at there's fish rising. And you can see the bugs in the air and I'm either just not good enough to reach that fish that I'm trying to catch. And I make a thousand casts and keep coming up short and don't catch it. Or I, for whatever reason, I've got the wrong fly and there's no juju on it. And the fish are just kind of ignoring it and (laughs) laughing at it. And I would rather at that point put a streamer on and catch no fish because then at least while I'm stripping and swimming the stream around, I feel like I'm doing something instead of just watching a fly float down the river. <laughs> Dude, I, I understand that completely. I would a hundred percent rather get skunked on streamers any day. It, yes. it, it, it's, it's an, an incredibly rewarding way to fish, uh, whether you catch fish or not, because you are constantly working that fly. You're always doing something. And I've had, I've had guys, I've had people tell me, yeah, well, you know, with a dry fly, there's still a lot going on. You're mending the line. And this, and I was like, yeah. And if you suck at it, you're just getting frustrated. So I go to the streamer. (laughs) (laughs) You don't see what's going wrong with the streamer. It's underwater. So yeah. Yeah. You strip twitch, twitch, you know, twitch, twitch, you know, and it's like, Oh, what's going on? (laughs) It's, it's, it's obviously must look good. I can't see it. Yeah, exactly what it's i don't like, see looks good it's like right. it's like mousing it's like i think that's a good cast yeah, <laughs> sure well that, you, you, oh go ahead john oh you're good brian go ahead man oh so so up there slinging streamers you know chasing down chasing down some smallies and stuff like that uh um you ever hook into anything you don't expect swinging or, or uh, throwing streamers that just catch you off guard uh, yeah, as a matter of fact. Um, so I'm out back behind my house two years ago, and I had this big, large, um, it was like a leech pattern on steroids. It was like two strips of black rabbit zonker, bunny fur, um, on a pretty big hook. It was meant for bass. And I'm standing in the middle of the creek right next to a lily field, as a matter of fact, behind my house. And I'm casting a seven weight. So with like a bass taper line. So it's a big, heavy line that's just slapping the water. And, you know, this, this streamer is like a, it's like a flat meatball. It's just, there's nothing delicate. <laughs> there's nothing graceful about it. Um, and I'm casting this thing under this dead tree in some shade over some, I don't know. It's kind of a, a mucky full of rotten leaves spot still spot in the creek off to the side out of the current i'm figuring there's gonna be a bass in there i always catch a bass there so i'm standing in the middle of the creek doing this rocking it to the side and after about the third or fourth time of stripping the streamer straight out towards me really fast i go to pick the streamer up out of the water to load it up and make another back cast and shoot it forward again and before it comes out of the water, all of a sudden, there's this huge shape that comes shooting out from the shadows where I couldn't see it. Oh. And it's a carp. 
and it's one of those big carp that's about the size of your leg, you know? So I'm thinking to myself, well, all, all this, you know how this goes in a split second of thought. It all happened in the blink of an eye. But I thought to myself, as the streamer's coming out of the water, well, I must have just spooked that carp with all that smashing that streamer and that line down in there. So the streamer leaves the water and shoots over my shoulder, and that carp shoots straight out towards me. And facing me, he turns downstream. So he goes to my left downstream. And like an idiot, because we all know that a carp that's cruising is definitely not going to grab your fly, and he's definitely not going to chase down a streamer. So like an idiot, I go, well, I'm going to head him off and throw the streamer in front of him. And he throw the streamer in front of this carp. This carp's not going to chase a streamer down. So I do. I send the streamer downstream, drop it in front of the carp, about 15 feet in front of it off to the side. And as the streamer is sinking, I lose it in a reflection because I didn't have my sunglasses on. The carp makes a turn and goes right to where the streamer was. And I'm like, what the hell? This doesn't make any freaking sense whatsoever. <laughs> so about the time I think, well, he's right on that streamer. I twitch the rod a little bit and the line goes tight. And I said, you have got to be shitting me. And it was, <laughs> it went tight and broke. I couldn't even finish the sentence. Um, there's yeah. If you're fishing with this, it happens with dries too. But if you're fishing with a streamer, you never know. It's, it's like any other lure. It's, it's like fishing with anything from a, a lure to a, a, a spinner to a, a worm under a bobber. There is no, I, you have no idea what's going to pick it up, which to me is part of the fun. I've caught some good, you know, fall fishing Creek chubs. That, hey, I'm glad it wasn't a bass because whoever knew they were that big. <laughs> uh, I, I remember I was, I was throwing some small streamers lat early, Yeah. Last year now for a uh, bass and, uh, uh, it was really fast water and I was kind of like just letting it dead drift, getting it in the zone. And I pop it like two or three times and line goes tight. And I strip, I mean, I strip set on it and uh -huh. I pull it up and it's a catfish. I was like, <laughs> I was like, that is so cool. And then I, I ended up catching three catfish that night on streamers. I was like, what, how, why is this a thing? <laughs> those, those are the best when they really make you scratch your head. It was the last thing you didn't, you wouldn't even think that fish would be there let alone that you could catch it. Yeah. Those are the best. Mark, so you and I have a mutual friend. And we that do. is, we do, that is Nick Besnick. Oh, no. Real? Oh, oh you uh, Texas guys. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got a, I've got a, this is going to lead on to a little series of thought here. All right. But you've got to tell me about some, anyway, about the trip. The Devil's River. The Devil's River. Um, I'd like to say that I will go on that trip again. But I will also say that even if I do go on that trip again, that was a once-in-a-lifetime trip. And what I mean by that is um, that is nothing like I had ever seen before. And I couldn't even look at those pictures and understand. I thought I knew, oh, yeah, we're going in the desert. It's this turquoise river. And it's going to be cool because there's fishing. And who goes kayaking in the desert? So that was all I was prepared for, which really I was prepared for nothing. Once in a lifetime trip because 
I got to believe that every single time you do that river is going to be like your first time again. It is absolutely amazing. And having, having Nick with us was awesome because he had done it before. So it was, it was like having, it was like having your, your guide buddy on the trip with you. <laughs> he already knew it. He'd been there. He'd done it. He knew what he was doing. All we had to do was go along for the ride. Um, the river's absolutely amazing. It was, I've looked at everything different since then. That was, that was last, was it last September that we went? And I just went three weeks ago to uh, Smoky Mountains in Tennessee. Oh, yeah. Uh, to get away from our winter here for a little bit. And I was still every, it's like every destination now I compare it to the Devil's River. Um, it, and you really can't compare anything to it. It's kind of like comparing the Devil's River to anything so far, anyways. For me, is like comparing a Harley to a crotch rocket. Uh, there's no point in doing it. Uh, it's just it's it's totally its own thing. You know, I'm looking at the water, and it's either gin clear, like absolutely the definition of gin clear. But if it's got any depth to it, it starts picking up the turquoise tint to it. So the entire, for all three days that I was on it, if I'm looking at the water, my mind is registering Bahamas because of the turquoise water and the white bottom. But all my eyes had to do were just look up a few feet and you're looking at cactus and desert bluffs. And you're going, no, you idiot, you're in the desert. If you decided to start walking and left your kayak behind, you'd probably die in a couple of days of dehydration and exposure. And then a minute later, I'm fighting a fish and my mind's registering Bahamas again. It was just absolutely, it, it was, it messed with my mind the entire time I was there. That's the easiest way to explain it was that it was really complicated to comprehend what you were in. It's, it's one of the most gorgeous I've never been. It's, it is on my list. And uh, I was listening to you and JP talk on the, in the seam mm -hmm. on, on your devil's river episode. And, <clears throat> you know, you said you didn't have a bucket list and th this really resounded with me. And um, it's just the way you, you put things, I reckon, you know, you said, I never made a bucket list because I'm bastardizing what you're saying here, but you know, you said something along the lines of, because those are places that you want to go, but you'll never really go to. Yeah. And then you said, uh, but I told myself I will go to the devil's river and I, I've got some good friends here and I'm not a native Texan. I'm an implant. And they all tell me they're like, one of these days you have to go on the devil's river you have to make that trip and uh and I'm, I'm planning on it man so i asked nick i said nick do you have a story about mark that you'd want to oh, share no. and um and now given this this was in a really quick little blast of text so all right um what i pulled from it was uh he said you were you were looking up at the bluffs at the macy's and he, uh, I believe he said, well, what do you think? And your response was, I would rather die here in the devil's river than at work. 
Yep. And that was, that's real, dude. That is, that's real. I mean, how, how, how did you, I mean, th- that's strong emotion right there. What, what was going through your mind? If you don't mind sharing. Right it just then. came out. It just came out. And I remember seeing the look on his face when I said it, it like stopped him in his tracks. So we had just ran some, for me, it was decent for people who do whitewater. It was probably nothing, but you got to understand we were doing that river trip with stand on, with stand on, sit on, um, fishing kayaks. These are not river kayaks. And I was doing it with a Hobie pedal kayak compass. Um, I had the pedals pulled out of it for a lot of the trip. Um, I had the thing set up to where I could drop them in and pull them out really fast. And I had planned on portaging that kayak around any kind of serious white water. Um, and if it wasn't around it, it was, we had long ropes and I was going to let the kayak go down first. And then I was just going to kind of, you know, scuttle about my way down the white water myself, not in the kayak. And so we hit this one area where I looked at it and Nick was like, no, no, we got to get out. We, we definitely got to just let them go down on their, on the ropes, you know? And, and I was looking at it going, I remember thinking to myself and I eventually said it at the top of the whitewater, our one friend, James, that was with us. He went down in his and he got snagged on a couple of rocks, um, but he didn't tip over anything. He was fine. He got around them and he made it down to the bottom. And I watched him the whole time. And I was telling myself, number one, you've never done anything like this with this kayak, but you can do it. Um, Whether you're an idiot or not, what's the worst that can happen? You're probably not going to drown, but let's not think about the worst that could happen. And before I did it, I remember saying, I didn't drive 2000 miles to walk my kayak down this river. So I got in the kayak and I remember uh, starting off shooting past Nick and Chris who were waiting at the top and James was at the bottom and man, it's this big 80 pound plus all our camping and fishing gear sit on top pedal kayak with a rudder and everything off the back of it. And I, I manhandled that thing down these rapids around some big boulders through a couple of hairy spots and shot out the bottom. And I remember thinking to myself immediately, I want to go do that again. And I want to, everything that we've walked around to this point, I want to go back. And now I want to float everything. I don't want to walk it past anything else. And I was standing at the bottom waiting for Nick came down. And I videoed him coming down and it was just so cool. And we were waiting for Chris to come down and Nick was standing there and he looked at me and I don't know, we were both smiling. You can't help but smile at that point after doing that. And uh, he looked at me and he said something, you know, what are you thinking? He said something, he said something to the point of, you know, getting hurt or, you know, drowning out there or something. Um, Probably it was probably something to the now that I think about it, I think he said something to the fact of my wife doesn't need to know I did this. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I looked at him and, and it just came out. And I said, I would rather die out here than to die at work. And it like just stopped him. Like I was like, like I was Albert Einstein and I had just given him the theory of relativity the first time anyone ever heard it. 
And I was like, I don't know. What did I just say? And he was like, dude. And I'm like, yeah, I guess that is pretty cool. It's true. And it was yeah. true at that moment. That was it. I said, you know what? It was, there was a little bit of adrenaline, but standing there after it was all done and looking around, it was, it was, it's everything that I've always talked about. It's everything that I have written about. And it was the theme for the last book that that story is in. Uh, I, everybody's time is going to come sooner or later. And I would much rather it be under some circumstances like that than pouring a coffee at work and taking your last breath, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that I remember saying that to him and it just like, he was like, Whoa, uh, say that again. <laughs> <laughs> that is, what, I mean, what, what an incredible story though. I mean, for, for somebody that would be reading that in text, they would, they would basically say, you know, you know, wow, this is really deep, you know? And then, like I said, there again, to hear you say it, it's like, yeah, we just shot some white water. And it was like, yeah, I'd rather die here than at work, you know? And, and it's kind of like, it's true though. I mean, who, who wouldn't want to take their last breath out there? Yep. You know, you might be apprehensive in the beginning, but after you've done it, you're like, that's, that's the way I would, yeah, that that's much better. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I, I think we were having a conversation last week about like, you know, uh, all, all the natural disasters that could occur in the areas that we're in, you know, and, yep. you know, for John, it's tornadoes and hurricanes. And for you, you got nor'easters and freezing conditions and hurricanes and all that yeah, fun stuff. That can, yeah, yeah. They seem to be creeping north on you. For us here in the West, it's uh, wildfires and volcanoes and earthquakes, you know, so yeah, we do get our weird weather, but um, you know, I, I think we, we were talking and I, I referenced back to a, a guy named Harry Truman, who, who uh, ran the Spirit Lake Lodge. This is the second time our listeners are going to have to hear about this if you listen that far. But <laughs> anyways, good old Harry Truman. He's 82, 83 years old. And he ran the lodge up there at Spirit Lake below Mount St. Helens before it erupted. And he sat up there and everybody said, well, Harry, are you going to, you going to evacuate? I said, Nope, this is where I live. This is where I'm going to die. And he sat there and, and the lodge had a view of the, of the North flank of the mountain where, where it discharged from where the landslide started. And then it blasted with like, you know, an incredible amount of force. And he, he, they figured that maybe he was laying in bed after a night of drinking rum and Coke. And, uh, he just heard, he heard a little bit of shaking because the sound projected up when it erupted and, and, uh, yeah, Harry's still up there under a whole bunch of pyroclastic flow. So, you know, what uh, what better way? You know, one morning you wake up, here's your mountain, done. You know, and, and I think I'd rather die out there than, you know, in a hospital bed or something like that. That's where I was going to go with it is uh, that's where his friends remember him. Um, yeah. I have, I'll, I'll admit it, um, I have avoided seen a couple of friends at the end because we both knew him and me that it's not how he wanted to be remembered and it's not how I want to remember him. Um, that's, that's, that's a real thing. Um, I, I think there's a little bit of romanticism to it too. Um, but it's true. If, if you have the chance, a lot of people are going to, they're going to make that choice. Some people won't. And, uh, could be anywhere it could be that proverbial bus yeah exactly you know uh 
one of our buddies, Brandon Heimrichs. It was a year ago last week, I took my first trip to a trout river. And, you know, I was completely uh, smitten with trout, with these little stock four or five inch trout at this park. And Brandon told me, um, it was kind of inadvertently, but it was the perfect time in my life to hear it. He said, you're not guaranteed today, tomorrow, or sometime. You know, and I was working this dead end job and this dude died of a heart attack at work. Um, in, exceptionally in shape, absolutely just vivid smile, fantastic dude. And that was it. That was it for him. And they replaced him within 30 minutes on that machine. Sure. And, you know, I told Brandon about it and that's when he told me that. And I was like, that's, you got to live. You, you've, you've got to you live. Side way down. Got it. The show must go on. So run your own show. Somebody else is going to run theirs after you're gone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's just incredible to me, like like how all of this, you know, how life can co-mingle with our love of, you know, what we do, which is fishing, you know, or <laughs> being it. outside. If you let but, it, it can. Yeah, it, it's so cool. Um, so outside of the Devil's River trip, you got any other places? I mean, obviously not a bucket list guy, but you got you got any places that you really want to go fish at? So. Yeah, there's a couple. Um, I passed up a trip in 2019 to South America for Golden Dorado. Um, I was finishing my second book, and I was also going through a divorce. So I had an opportunity to do this trip, and it was tough times. So I kind of told myself, you know, guys like you don't get to do these trips you probably shouldn't be traveling all over the place doing this stuff. You got two kids, you know, the divorce isn't even, isn't even a final cemented yet. Um, so I passed it up and that's, that's kind of a big regret now. Um, so I'd love to do that. I'd, I'd still love to get down there and go for some golden Dorado, but I've got a young friend who he's from my area and, um, He's 28 now. I met him when he was 24. But it turns out that he fished the pond next to my house when he was 10 years old while I was in the Air Force because he was the little brother of my little sister's boyfriend at the time. Um, so fast forward all these years later. I meet him by chance because of Facebook, because he's a local kid who's fishing and we're talking about some local fishing together and we end up meeting up. I go and pick him up while he's in town to fish here local. And we're driving past this house in the city. Um, and I go, Oh, you know, my sister dated a kid that lived in that house right there. And he's like, that house. I go, he goes, I used to live in that house. I go, Oh, well, his name was Jay. I said, but he, died of cancer he's 21 he's like it was my brother you've got to be kidding wow. uh so i was just talking to him this morning through messenger and he's down in you know like uh cozumel 
places like that. And he, when I met him, he was working on cruise ships. He was a musician and cruise uh, music director, and he was fishing every day. Well, when COVID hit, the cruise ships all shut down. Um, and he never went back to the ships. He stayed down there and he's been guiding ever since. And I talked to him probably once a week. I tell him he's got life by the balls, uh, whether he <laughs> understands or not, you know, he's like, Oh, I don't have any money. You know, sometimes the clients are, you know, you know, real pricks, not most of the time they're awesome, but you know, just sometimes it could be so tough. You don't have money and the people could be. And I said, I said, you got to do whatever it is you want, but you have life by the balls and you're not going to understand that until you don't have it by the balls anymore. And you're in a position that the rest of us are in where it's 40, 50, 60 hour work weeks to keep all the bills paid and try to keep everybody happy and nobody's happy. And you're wondering what the heck is this all for? And um, I put a post up this morning about, being a little disappointed. It was an, ex, an excerpt out of this last book, Not All Trout Are Geniuses, about me hiking up a creek and catching a creek chub, hoping there were brook trout there, but it was a creek chub. And I'm never disappointed. I, anything, I catch anything, I'm good. But there was slight disappointment in catching the creek chub because I thought there would be brook trout, and it turned out there were no brook trout. And he read that this morning down there uh and immediately messaged me and he was like dude that hit so hard he says because i take these people out all the time and if people could just understand that you know a little because i think i ended it with i think the excerpt ends something about um the disappointment it wasn't because i forgot that i could catch a creek chub and not a brook trout it was because I forgot that I don't know everything and there'll be another time that I don't know everything again. And he says, you know, some of these people that I take out, if you could just get them all to understand that, that high expectations don't mean it's always going to work out great. You've, you've, you've missed the expectations before and you're going to miss them again. And so this morning I decided next year, I have to go fish with them and it's got to be another story in, in the next book it has to be. So there's two places. That's probably the bigger one of the two, honestly. Mm-hmm. Hey, that's going to be, that's going to be, I, I, I'm, I'm lost for words. That's, that's going to be so amazing. <clears throat> partly because of where he is, but partly because of the backstory. Um, you know, he was 10 years old fishing the pond next to my house while I was away in the Air Force, and I didn't even know he existed. And then, you know, we passed his house in town because I picked him up to go fishing one day. The first day we ever met, he turns out, well, that was my house. He was my brother. How does that stuff happen? It's fishing. You know, we all think it's it's worldwide and it's just it's giant. Right. And. But really, I think the world is so much smaller than we make it out to be. Way smaller. Yep. Dude, I, I've got a question, though. Um, you describe yourself as a marginal fly fisherman. Yeah, that might be an exaggeration, too. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to tell me, man, what's what's up with that? Um, 
a couple people tell me it's just because I'm modest. Um, but then I will tell them that, no, it's pretty true. And the few decent fish that I've caught have been absolute luck, right place, right time. Um, if all I had to do was not cast and I would have not caught that fish. Um, I, I think I'm pretty marginal because I'm pretty stubborn. Uh, I, I could see all the bugs flying around clear as day. They, there could be bugs. There could be a hatch going on. And there could be a ring girl who walks out of the river with round one, round two, round three, you know, walk <laughs> up and down the river in front of me with the ha- with the bug on that sign that tells me this is what you need. This fly in this size. And, you're and not I'd ignore because well, that's not what I want to fish. <laughs> and I'd put something totally different on. I am a whore. When it comes to technical fishing, um, I am absolutely horrible. If if you look at it as I will just put tie something on and I will cast it a thousand times and I'm bound to catch something in a thousand casts, well, then I'm a good fisherman. <laughs> We sound a lot alike, Mark. I, 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 uh, you know, somebody will say, Oh, you know, it's going to be a balanced leech day. And I'll be like, screw it. I'm throwing a nymph, you know, yeah, and, exactly. or, Just or, you know, yeah. Somebody's like, Oh, the dry fly stuff's amazing. Uh, uh, time to sling a streamer, you know, just to be the rebel, you know, <laughs> or, or the, or the best one is like where, where it's like an epic fly fishing river, but you can use any tackle. And I get out a Panther Martin spinner and throw that instead, you know, just, just because it's like, here's these people, they're doing these beautiful double hauls and everything else. And I'm out there with the, you know, the spin rod just right up the, the, yeah, (laughs) no, we sound a lot alike because yeah, I I've, I've tried doing that whole match the hatch thing and like, you know, trying to wrap my head around it, like uh, flipping rocks and sucking bugs and you know yeah. stomach pumping trout and all this other stuff and it's like oh screw it you know what i don't want to mess with the fish i don't want to flip rocks i just want to go out here and throw something and i know something's gonna bite it yes yeah nope that's the truth it's it's just i just want to i just want to cast and, and fish out of principle there's no there's no other reason than because i'm fishing i'm not doing anything else that's really it yeah, I, you know, it, it's just so refreshing though to, uh, and, and I'm stealing John's word refreshing, right? <laughs> this is John's <laughs> thing, but it truly is. It's refreshing to find somebody that has the passion of fly fishing, such as yourself, have, have not so much of like a, oh, it's got to be like this or this or this or this. Um, I mean, how did you come to fly fishing in general? We, we usually ask that earlier, but I'm just curious because you're talking about uh, all this other stuff, but how did you get, how did you end up fly fishing? So I never had any interest in it and I never really understood what it was up until around 2011. Um, I literally, this is how un, how not understanding of fly fishing I was up until that. I always thought the fly fishing, these guys are out there whipping this little thing around in the air I thought they were trying to make it look like a fly was flying around so the fish would jump up and get it. And it just seemed absolutely stupid to me. Not to mention, you know, the big vests and, and the stupid hats. It was kind of like golf, but standing in the water. And I, I just Love didn't it. get it. Love it. Didn't get it at all. And then, so I was working on the road um, for about four years in the Northeast, mostly New York. Um, I was climbing cell towers. 
And at the end of the day, whatever town we were in, while the younger guys, they were all at least 10 years younger than me, they all wanted to go to the hotel bars. I didn't want to do that. I had a family and I couldn't afford to drink every night. I didn't want to drink every night. So I went fishing. And I remember being down by Tioga, New York. I was fishing next to a McDonald's drive through on whatever river this was. There's some weeping willows hanging down. I'm in shorts and Converse sneakers in water up to my waist. Fishing a spinning rod with a Panther Martin or something like that. And there were fish taking bugs just underneath the branches of that weeping willow off the surface. And I tried everything, including timing the fish rising with that Panther Mountain cast to try to knock them out in the head. And I could not get a fish that day to save my life. And that's not when I started fly fishing, but that was the first day that I understood. You know what? If I had a fly rod, knew what I was doing, I bet I could have caught those fish. And it was within, within months of that. I must have saw a picture. Who knows? It was probably online at that point of uh, of somebody casting, and I just thought it suddenly looked cool, and I ought to try it. And I mentioned it to my father, and next thing you know, he was like, "Yeah, yeah, look what I got." He bought two fly rod combos, two Reddington combos, and gave me a six weight, and we gave it a shot. He didn't stick with it. I did. That was that. Very cool. So. So the fish drove you to the, the fly, so to speak. Yeah, it was, it was all of a sudden, oh, I get it. Yeah. They're eating bugs, and yeah. I don't have bugs. And even if I had <laughs> bugs, I couldn't even cast the bugs with this rod. So now I understand. I saw that's the light. So, that's so cool how that all came together, though, is that you, you, were, uh, you were fishing, and, and that's what you saw was working. It wasn't yep. even like this thing of, of where you hear these these long and, and you're a writer, so you understand, you know, the buildup and the crescendo of the story and everything yeah. else. It wasn't like this this romanticized thing. It's like I'm fishing by a McDonald's drive thru and I can't catch these damn fish. <laughs> yes, correct. There was a McDonald's drive thru with cars and people getting their whoppers and everything right there. <laughs> I couldn't catch a fish. That's awesome. I love it. Oh man, that is too good. So you and JP are lifelong friends. Um, you, gotta, you have get outside. Uh, his his dogs. Yeah, he's got some really awesome German short hairs. Yeah, I was just yelling at the dogs. So <laughs> nice. They keep so, coming back and forth. What is so? You, you've got to have some of JP's rods, and I'm sure all of them are amazing. Um, so, but what's your what's your favorite? So yeah, I still have the first rod that my father bought me, the Saint Croix, and then I believe I have probably at least a dozen other rods, and they're all JP's rods. <laughs> That's it. I, I I have no. Uh, if you want to talk about brain loyalty, I'm it uh, because <laughs> it worked good, and I know him, and I know why he does it. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm totally with him on it. It's cool. And my favorite one, he just came out with this a couple of years ago, and he actually built the prototype, and I fished it for two years. Um, I was always – he's he made his name on short, small stream rods, like, you know, two- and three-way, six-foot, six-inch rods with a small stream like the brook trout I do. So we go on this three-day canoe trip, on all these for small brook trout streams up north 
in the Adirondacks, and he brings this 10-foot, 6-inch four-way. And I was like, what the heck am I going to do with this thing? You know, you could lay it down across the stream and walk it like a like a, a tight wire to get to the other side. It, it's huge. And, it, you know, it was it ended up being awesome for two reasons, because you could just reach out and drop a fly where you needed to, because it's almost 11 feet long. But the other thing was, sitting in the canoes, if I wanted to make a long cast, um, it's so tall that you could keep the tip of the rod in the line over all the undergrowth, the alders, the brush and everything, and you could actually cast with it. So I kept it after that trip. It's like, oh, I'll just fish it for a while. Well, I fished it for two years. So it started out with brook trout, and it ended up, that rod has done everything from, uh, well, it's done everything. It's, it's done big browns. It's done largemouth bass with poppers and lily pads. It's done small mouse on the creek out back. Um, it's, it's done everything. Uh, and he ended up putting it in a, a making the model in his lineup. It's called the Peacemaker. It's a 10 foot, six inch four weight. And so I really like all the short rods still, but that's like the only thing I've fished. Uh, other than a little bit of, he makes some S glass um, that I'm starting to really get into. Uh, it's just, the glass is just like butter, but that 10 foot, six inch rod has become my favorite. It's always in the car and whether it's, whether I got a dry fly, a nymph, a streamer, whatever, it does it all. We got a couple of friends who they were using six X tippet to protect it, but they were steelhead with the thing. Um, it's just, it's just a fun rod. It's, it's Man. that one rod that, well, whatever I'm going to do, I just take it. That's awesome, dude. And th that's the second time I heard about the, uh, it's the peacemaker, right? Or, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Peacemaker. Um, JP was talking to one of the competition Euro guys, one of the competitive, yep. uh, fly fishermen with Phipps and everything. And, um, they were talking about that rod. So it's, it's came up twice. It, so yeah. I'm uh, I'm keen to learn more about that, Ron. And it's even got a it's even got a um, an extra uh, blank uh, blank length that goes that he'll sell with it um, that turns it into an eight foot three way, which I don't have that yet. But it's funny when he talks to these guys who actually know what they're doing, like that <laughs> guy and stuff like that. Cause they're like, Oh yeah, they can, they can talk all technical about it. And I'm just like, I don't know. I put a streamer on it. It works just fine. A fish like that. And yeah, the dry fly, it went out there. So it works. You know, I, yeah. I can't get all technical about it. I just, I fished it and it, and, I, and it worked. <laughs> that's at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Yeah. Well, I, I, is, would, yeah. I, I would say if you, if you check the box and it's like, did it catch fish? Yes. Did it throw the yes. bug? Yes. Did it, did it get the fish in? Yes. Okay. We're good. We're, We're good. good. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Well, Mark, I hate to do it, but we're coming up to the end of this, and I don't want to keep you all night. But is there anything we left out that you'd like to touch on? Um, Man, we hit on a lot, but, you know, we can go for a couple more hours. And I just tell people how to get a hold of my books. Because absolutely. All this is about stories, right? Mm -hmm. So you could go – my three books are Reflections of a Fly Rod, Carper Jerks, and the latest is called Not All Trout or Geniuses. None of these are about catching any specific fish. They're literally stories that if I've done my job right, 
you're not going to be able to finish the book in a timely manner because you're going to want to keep putting it down to go fishing. That's the whole point. Um, and you can find them on Amazon or you can go to jprossflyrods.com and you can buy signed copies there. Um, and I'm working on number four already. So let's see what happens. So Mark, where can people find you to get a hold of you and talk and share experiences like this? So right now I got my Facebook page. If you just look me up, Mark Usick and Instagram, but you can also go to jprossflyrods.com. And I do have a page on there where you can contact me through the fly rod company. If you got questions about anything on the site, um, if you're looking for some, I've started speaking at events and stuff. Uh, anything from talking to sixth graders about how they can tell better stories on paper to, you know, fishing stories in front of outdoors groups or whatever. Uh, I, I'm into any of it. Uh, it. It's all about the stories. It's, that's why we do it all. I don't care what anybody says. If they didn't have a good story to tell their buddies later on, they would, they wouldn't go back out again. <laughs> <laughs> well, and of course you have your YouTube as well, where you do share some of your short yes. stories there. Yeah. Yes. I'm start. I'm starting to do that where I'll pick a story out of a book, a short one or a piece of it. And I'll, and I'll put it on YouTube. I don't have a huge following there yet, but I feel like I'm a better writer than I am a speaker, but I'm getting better at it. Um, so YouTube helps if people like to hear the stories, which you were saying you were listening to them on your, uh, in your car on yeah. YouTube. I've had several requests, so I'm going to look into turning them into audio books. That would be I fantastic. Sure it really takes, but I've had more than enough people ask that I feel like I should really look into it seriously. Yeah, that would be fantastic, Mark, because like, well, for me, listening to other podcasts and things like that, it always occurs during the commute. I have two hours worth of commute every day, and that's like the best place for me to do that in between, well, being the parent and all that stuff, like what you have. Not that I don't want to have the paper copy, but I definitely, uh, for myself, I love supporting the authors and the artists and the people that create, because at the end of the day, you, you know, you're doing it out of passion, but it is taking your time. And I think it's, it's totally a worthy thing to support. So please do that. I, I would love to have your audio books. I'm going to see what happens. I'm going to work on it. I'm going to look into it. It's probably going to happen. That would be super cool. Oh, you've also got Instagram as well. Yes. Yeah. There's, I don't know. There's probably a couple thousand pictures on there. And every day, if you follow me on social media, it's really just, I pick a, a, a picture off of my phone. Most of the time has to do with fishing at least the outdoors. And I use it as a writing exercise. Um, and sometimes it's, it's out of a book. Sometimes it ends up in a book, but it's just kind of that one thing you can go to in the morning instead of seeing politics and all the other crap going on. I'd rather see fish than politics. Maybe you'll, any day. Maybe you'll see something that I write that you're like, you know what? <coughs> I'm not going to make it into work today. <coughs> yeah, exactly. And if you do that, tell me that I made you do that. And, and I, I have a beer at the end of the day because of that. <laughs> awesome. Oh, man. This has been such a pleasure. Honestly, thank you so much, man. For oh, coming thanks for having me. This yeah. is good talk. Good stuff. Yeah. Thank you so much, Mark. Thank you for reaching out. Everybody do what Mark does and reach out because we'll be happy to have you on the podcast. He, he had no qualms. He's like, Hey, have me on your podcast to talk. And 
look at how great this podcast has been. This interview, well, I don't even want to call it an interview. It's just a conversation, but it's been just a fantastic. Yeah, we're just talking. It's been a fantastic conversation. You could be where Mark is right now having the same conversation about your day or your fishing or something else. So please don't hesitate to reach out to us. And Mark, thank you again so much for reaching out. Hey, thank you. And as always, you can find us at Working Class Fishing on Instagram, Facebook, pretty much every social media platform, but Twitter. Um, you can email us at Working Class Fish for any inquiries. You can message us on Facebook. You probably won't be getting a hold of me. Uh, you'll be getting a hold of Brian. But uh, at some point, uh, you'll be able to talk to me. You can, you can find me at Morris Flacco on Instagram if you'd like to just reach out that way. And uh, please uh, take a little time, if you would, and uh, give us a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. It actually helps us out a lot. And don't forget that this episode was brought to you by Trout Leonard Nets. That's Weston. He's one of our great friends in South Carolina. He's making handmade nets. Um, truly American-made, real creativity. And they're better at landing fish than just trout. And thanks for listening, everyone. And Brian, you got anything? No, that's it. Uh, thanks again, everybody, for listening. Uh, like John said, make sure that you rate us over on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube. Uh, we're not putting these episodes on YouTube, but we got a whole bunch of other fun stuff for you, for you to watch. So if you like listening, listen here. If you like watching stuff, go over there and watch. Uh, and then uh, always feel free to reach out to us. Thanks for listening, everyone, and eat your vegetables, and we'll be seeing you.